Hey guys, happy Monday. Welcome back to Kindled. I'm really excited to bring you this episode and this conversation I had with Natasha Crane, who is um, just a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. Natasha wrote a book recently called Faithfully Different. And so we're talking about the topic of secularism and how Christians can be faithfully different in the culture and kind of stand strong in the storm of secularism that is both without the church and within the church. So um, that's kind of the main thing I want to draw your attention to throughout this conversation is thinking about all of the ways, and as we're talking, you'll hear us unpack this, but just keep in mind all of the ways that secularism is not just merely outside the church, out there in the world, in the sense that it's like, it's their problem. But that it is actually in so many ways seeping into the church, seeping into what self-professing Christians say is biblical, say is true, say is what Jesus would do or what the Bible meant when it said certain things. Secularism is affecting how we talk about our faith with other Christians. It's not just an us versus them. It is really coming into the church in a very real way. And so I... I, I just want to draw your attention to that as you're listening. We all have to be on guard for the ways that we expect and even don't expect that secularism is impacting um, our our witness as believers. And I think Natasha's, this conversation today and her book is a perfect starting point for you to really get um, educated and inspired and encouraged to stand strong and to ultimately submit to the authority of scripture alone. Before I play that, a couple housekeeping reminders. Uh, make sure you've subscribed to the podcast so you get all of our new episodes. Uh, leave a rating and review as that helps so much. And uh, join us inside the Firestarters subscriber community at kindledpodcast.locals.com for bonus episodes that come out every Friday. You get these episodes every Monday for free on my main podcast, Kindled. But if you want even more from me, I am producing double the amount of content uh, over on the Firestarters platform on, on the Locals app. So it's 10 bucks a month to join us and you can support this ministry and get more content while doing so at kindledpodcast.locals.com. All right, here's my conversation with Natasha Crane. Natasha, thank you so much for being on here. Thanks for having me. Um, it's great to have you back. Uh, I loved our first conversation where we talked all about uh, politics, and that was probably about a year ago. And here we are. Uh, the world has has changed a lot, but thankfully God's truth has not. So we're going to talk about um, that in your new book, Faithfully Different, um, which is excellent. I have dug into that and it is just like everything that I would want in a book. Um, listeners know that worldview is one of my absolute favorite topics. And uh, yeah, so I'm very excited. But for anyone who's listening, who maybe has not heard of you or know who you are, could you just tell listeners who you are and what you do? Yeah. So I started blogging about a decade ago, which makes me feel a little bit like a dinosaur, but I started a Christian parenting blog way, way back and didn't know anything really about apologetics or worldview kind of stuff. But I got attacked on my blog by a lot of mm -hmm. skeptics when I was writing just about general Christian parenting stuff. And long story short, that led me to just really dig into a lot of questions about things that they were saying, like there's no evidence for God's existence and the Bible's filled with errors and contradictions, all of these kinds of things. And so I started searching for answers, discovered 
apologetics, which means how you make a case for and defend the truth of Christianity. And I turned my blog into a place where I was helping to educate other Christian parents on these kinds of claims and how to respond. So I ended up writing three apologetics books to equip parents. And after that, my new kind of journey into these cultural issues that we're going to talk about in Faithfully Different really started in 2020, that summer when there was so much social unrest. And although before that point, I had really focused on parenting, I decided there needs to be more written about clearly distinguishing secular views from biblical ones, because I saw so many Christians getting swept into this. And so I wrote this blog post called Five Ways That Christians Are Getting Swept Into a Secular Worldview in This Cultural mm -hmm. Moment. And that blog post went viral. It was liked and shared 277,000 times. And it was then that I realized there it really is a need to break this mm -hmm. down more for people and help Christians think more clearly about the lines between this dominant secularism and a biblical worldview. And that was really the, the catalyst for writing Faithfully Different. So I also have a podcast called the Natasha Crane Podcast. I still write articles on my blog, just not as frequently as I used to. But that's mm -hmm. kind of the gist of it. I have three kids. I have two seventh graders, twins that I homeschool, and I have a fifth grader who goes to a private Christian school. Very cool. That's so awesome. I love um, how, you know, that time was, was very, uh, you know, transformative for a lot of us and just revealed a lot of deception. You know, I mean, that's about the time that we left our church of 10 years and, and realized that they had really slipped into social justice, gospel, and all of that. And, and I'm actually so incredibly thankful for all the trials that that year brought and obviously has continued to bring, but um, because it has revealed truth and it has exposed so much deception um, and it has really forced so many of us to solidify uh, and really come to grips with what do we believe and what is our worldview rooted in and, and what do we cling to for truth in light of so much uncertainty and so much cultural upheaval. So um, you talk about, obviously the name of the book is Faithful and Different. You're talking about Christians in that and how our worldview is extremely different than the world and we are the minority. So could you unpack that? Like, why are we, why are we the minority? Because I feel like I grew up believing that as an American, I was, you know, I lived in a Christian nation. Like I, that's what I believed. I, I really felt like that was kind of my assumptions based on, you know, our founding documents. And I kind of looked around and thought most people probably agree with me and we're all kind of on the same page. We agree murder's wrong. And, you know, like kind of just trusted that like most people were sort of aligned with me. And I obviously know that's, that's not true today, but could you kind of unpack um, what has brought, brought us to, you know, that reality that we are the minority? Yeah, so we have to understand what the data shows here. And I know some people get bored by numbers, but I think for Christians today, we really have to understand what the numbers are because it's easy to look at some of the studies that come out and say, well, Christians actually are a majority in America. So when people think that a lot of times what they're looking at is the research from an organization called the Pew Forum. And the Pew Forum, they do all kinds of research around religious trends in America. And they survey thousands and thousands of people, very big studies. And according to the Religious Landscape Study, what they find is that as of at least a couple of years ago, 65% of Americans identify as Christian. So if you call people up and give them a list of options, 65% will say, I'm a Christian. I'm not an atheist, an agnostic, or the other things on the list. 
But what we have to understand is that that's how people self-identify. That is how they are saying, they're, they're referring to themselves a label that they would give themselves, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything about what they believe. And that that's a really big piece that we need to understand because one person could say, I'm a Christian. And really all they meant was they grew up in a Christian home. They're not really religious in any kind of sense today. They don't have a relationship with the Lord. They just identify with that. So what we need to do is look at the research around what people believe. And for that, what we can do is we can turn to the Cultural Research Center from Arizona Christian University, led by Dr. George Barna. And what they have found is that when you actually dig into this and you ask people dozens of questions, which they do, they use a whole battery of questions for this, what do they believe and how do they live that out? that only about 6% of Americans have what we would call a functioning biblical worldview, adhering to the basic truths as taught in the Bible and seeking to live accordingly. So 6% is a far cry from the 65% of people who are identifying in that way. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, amongst people who are 18 to 29, that's only 2%, 2% have a biblical worldview. So yes, Christians with a biblical worldview are absolutely a tiny minority in America today. If you just want to say how many people identify themselves as a Christian, that's not a minority, but we have to ask how meaningful really is that? It's interesting to know how many people do, but it's not really meaningful in terms of identifying how people are functioning in culture and how they actually see reality. Mm. Wow. That is... That is shocking. I mean, the 2% number is like, wow, because that's where we're headed, right? The, the other 4% are people who in the next 30 to 40 years are, are going to be dying and passing away. So, I mean, hopefully longer than that in, in some cases, because I'm over 30, but, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's concerning because it's like, wow, that is, that is where we're headed, the, the 2%. And uh, gosh, what, like, what are some of the contributing reasons for that? Um, if you've, you know, if you have any insight into that question. Well, that's huge. We could, we could talk about that for a whole hour here. Um, I think that there are all kinds of reasons for that, but I think what I always come back to is we feel like this has happened very suddenly, uh, because like you're saying, a lot of us grew mm-hmm. up not really realizing the differences that were out there. Because like mm-hmm. you said, people kind of had these values that were consistent with Christianity, like murder is wrong, family is yeah. important, uh, mar- marriage matters, all of these things, the definition of marriage. So we kind of grew up thinking that's you know kind of Christian. But really, if you look at the data further, what you can see is that in the last 25 years, the percent of people with a biblical worldview has dropped in half. So this is not something that happened yesterday. It's not happen- something that happened in 2020. This is not something that has suddenly changed. It has been in process for a long time. It, it's, it goes back decades. It goes back 100 years and, and even more than that to all kinds of forces that have happened in the past. But the reason that today it seems so drastically different is that it's become more obvious to us because now people are not just discarding the doctrinal tense of Christianity, which happened long ago, they're also discarding the values that were consistent with that doctrine. And so now we see it. Now we're looking around and we're saying, wait, they don't even value marriage. They don't value family. We we have different meanings Mm -hmm. of human equality, all these things. Now it suddenly has brought all of this to the surface. 
So this has been in the process for a very long time, this general kind of secularization. It's just been expedited in our realization of it in Mm -hmm. the last few years, because now people are discarding what's sort of the hangover of all these values. Now they're detached from a biblical worldview completely. And now the values themselves are changing and we're saying, what is going on? So it really Mm -hmm. is a process that's been happening for a while. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned some of the values that are consistent with a biblical worldview that are being discarded, which we can obviously see in culture like marriage, family, equality. I mean, even just the definition of like what a man is, what a woman is, that there is such a difference, that there is such a distinction, all these like things that I am, it is astounding. It is truly astounding that in the West, we could be having these conversations with the advances of science that we have and all of the capability and all of this, uh, you know, technology available to us. We are, we are unsure of the differences between a biological male and female, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's really mind blowing. Um, when you, when you step back and, and think about it, but what are, um, you know, what are the, the, the values, I guess, if, if that's what you are calling them that are the most affected by this shift away from like, you know, the biblical worldview to a secular worldview, what are, what are some of those other ones that, that we can see? Well, I think you just listed a lot of them and they're the biggest ones that we see in culture. So maybe I'll just take that into what's the underlying root of it, because I think mm-hmm. that explains whatever manifestations we see. And mm-hmm. this is what I really try to draw out in the book to help Christians understand is more of the root. We can talk about all the examples, but the root itself comes back to what is secularism? What is this dominant worldview? How would we describe it? And ultimately to be secular means that you don't defer to the authority of a given religion or God in your life. And if you take away that kind of authority from a given person's life, it's not that they have no authority anymore. It's that they're left with the authority of the self. Mm. It's that they are the authority. And so that is the tie that functionally binds the worldviews of millions of people is the authority of the self rather than the authority of God. And obviously for Christians with a biblical worldview, our authority is God. And we learn about him and about us and about our relationship Mm -hmm. and much more about reality through the inspired and authoritative word of God. That's where the ultimate conflict is Mm -hmm. between the authority of the self versus the authority of God. And so when you get back to this authority of the self that people are overwhelmingly resorting to in culture, this secularism, that's going to have certain things in common between them. And I describe it in the book as feelings are the ultimate guide. Happiness is the ultimate goal. Judging is the ultimate sin. And God is the ultimate guess. In other words, there's no reason to have any kind of confidence in your belief about the nature of God. So when you put those four beliefs together that are all consistent with the authority of the self, what you see is that it manifests itself in all of these different ways. So when you're talking about, for example, the belief that male and female exist, that these are distinct categories biologically, that gender can't be separated from that. When you say that, you're appealing to the existence of objective truth, Mm -hmm. which of course is what we as Christians believe. But you see in culture that people are saying, well, who are you to tell me this? Because they're assuming the authority of the self, that no one can tell you anything about yourself because you're the authority, your feelings are the guide, and happiness is the goal, and judging is the sin. So they're looking at it from within that worldview box. And so I think that that just explains so much when you look at it from that framework and you see that anytime we try to appeal to this objective truth or this authority, people are just going to say, well, that makes no sense because 
everything comes back to me and what I feel, what I want to do. There's no external authority to me at all. And that's really what manifests itself through all of these issues that we see Mm -hmm. in culture today. The first sponsor of today's show I want to share with you is Alongside Them. Speaking of knowing biblical truth, if you want an easy way to help your children learn the truth of God's word, check out the Basics Catechism and the Commandment Catechism available from Alongside Them. Their catechisms are written with simple and short answers that are easy for your little ones to repeat and remember. A scripture reference is included on each page to dig deeper into God's word together. Multiple ages can learn together from toddlers to parents. You can easily integrate this into your Bible time, family worship, right before bed. Visit their shop at etsy.com slash shop slash alongside them and follow them on Instagram at alongside them. The owners, Kira and Kenzie, are giving Kindle listeners $5 off your order of $16.50 or more when you use the coupon code KINDLED5. So don't forget to use that at checkout. You can also scroll down in the show notes of this episode for a quick link to their store. But you can find them at Etsy at etsy.com slash shop slash alongside them. Yeah, that's yeah. I love how you put that so clearly. Feelings are the ultimate uh guide happiness is the ultimate goal judgment is the ultimate sin god is the ultimate guess i mean if that doesn't describe culture today nothing does i mean that's it's exactly what we see um and that makes it very hard you know when when you are dealing with okay an absolute authority outside of us uh found in scripture that's a biblical worldview and understanding of where does authority come from god he's the one who gets to say but as you said they reject that and their premise for anything they say, believe or do is just within themselves. And so obviously that explains why we are having so much conflict and so many clashes. Um, the thing that I always, you know, uh, come up against, I guess, with this is that obviously that leads to a lot of inconsistencies, but, you know, obviously, because we already see that we see, you know, that feminists, some feminists have sided with conservatives on certain issues because they're like, wait, hold on. No, men can't be women. No, women are women. We don't want men competing in women's sports. Like that goes against everything feminists have fought for, right? And so you you start to see them come full circle again, going back to, well, no, but like we want we want conservative values on the differences between a man and a woman, but not a conservative view of, you know, submission to men or, or whatever. I, I struggle with the obvious inconsistencies, but nobody seems to see it. Do you, do you see that? I know you do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Help me with that. I think you're absolutely right. And that, that hits on something that's important for Christians to understand is that when you have a worldview, but you can't be consistent within your own worldview in order to work it out, that should point you toward the fact that there might be a problem that maybe your worldview doesn't mm-hmm. reflect reality. And as Christians with a biblical worldview, that's that's the beauty of it. We can have a coherent, consistent worldview that all logically ties together and makes sense together. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the secular perspective, it seems to make sense to people at first. Well, just don't bother me. We're all our own little, you know, island of self-authority, but they don't take that to its logical end. Because if you then say, okay, well, what if following my heart, I want to go kill someone, you know, use an extreme Mm -hmm. example, because that always reveals the poverty in the logic. If there is 
there. And what you see is that they're going to say, well, of course you can't just go kill someone. I mean, maybe you'll find a couple of exceptions of people out there who are going to say, sure, I think that's okay. But that's very rare. A normal functioning Mm -hmm. human is going to say, I I see that that's wrong. I am not, I don't think you should be able to go out and kill someone. So then they'll try to modify the logic of their own worldview and say, hey, do whatever you want and be who you want to be as long as you're not hurting someone else. Mm -hmm. But see, this is a major problem because as soon as you try to have one objective moral claim that you should not hurt someone else. That's an objective claim outside of each individual that supposedly applies to all people. As soon as you do that, you're acknowledging that there is some kind of objective moral law that applies to everyone. But you can't say that because if you make room for just one objective moral claim, you're saying objective morality exists. You can't Mm -hmm. smuggle that into your worldview. It doesn't fit, but they're realizing they have to make an exception. Otherwise this whole follow your heart thing doesn't work out. No one's going to say follow your heart unless Mm -hmm. you're going to murder someone. So they realize there's a problem (laughs) and they try to get around it by saying, well, there's just one objective moral rule that applies to everyone. As soon as you get one objective moral rule, you have objective morality and you have to ask, well, who's the moral lawgiver? It's inconsistent. Yeah. That's exactly, yes, so, so true. And I think one area that came to mind as you were talking that I think we really saw this get revealed. And this is, it's just kind of funny how this all is playing out before our very eyes in the headlines, you know? And so, one area, um, which you'll have to forgive me for bringing this up, but the vaccine conversation and mandates, we started seeing people say, my body, my choice. Right. And, and the abortion crowd was like, no, it's not your choice because it affects me. It affects my body. Oh, that's funny. You know? And it was just hilarious to watch them like, well, no, because no, that's, that's different. It's different. You're putting me at risk and they don't see the hypocrisy of it. They don't see it. And so, um, and, and what I'm not arguing is actually that that's our reasoning. Like I, I don't believe in my body, my choice actually on either side, that it's just that I'm this autonomous being who gets to do whatever I want with my body and I'm my own authority, right? Like we reject that as Bible believing Christians, because we know that our bodies are not our own, but they're God's. And so he has something to say with what we do with our bodies. But, um, you know, did you see any, any realization when that conversation started coming up or just more deception and, and blindness around that whole topic? Well, that is sort of a whole other beast of itself. It I, mean, I think that when, when people start talking about these things, it's, it's so emotionally charged that they stop mm-hmm. thinking about the logical consistencies that they're saying, mm-hmm. but you're right. Everything you just described is exactly true, that there were all of these inconsistencies in how people were talking about it, but they're not thinking about it. There's, there's actually an interesting, another study in the book that I talk about that the same research group has looked at. And when they look at the beliefs that everyone in America has. So not just Christians, but just overall, what do people believe? And then they start ticking and tying all those answers to try to see, well, who actually has coherent belief systems, meaning just within their own worldview, they believe things that internally make sense with one another, not talking about who's right or wrong, just do you have a worldview that makes sense within itself based on your answer to these questions? They find that 88% of Americans, of all Americans, have a worldview that doesn't logically fit together that Mm. is internally incoherent 
that tells us a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it says so much. This isn't just Christians and it's not just atheists. It's not, it's not any particular worldview group, but it's overall as Americans, we haven't thought carefully about what we believe. We don't seem to care if our beliefs logically fit together. We just pick and pull from all these different places based on what happens to make sense at a given time. That's not, again, not just a Christian problem. That is a problem for all people. And I think that you have seen a lot of that manifested itself in all these vaccine debates and, mm -hmm. and those kinds of conversations as well. But it goes back to the fact that people don't think about, do my beliefs all actually fit together? They mm -hmm. don't. And a lot of them don't care. Why is that? Do you think that, I mean, do you think that is because it's just a religion of the self? And so when we worship any, anything other than God, and we, you know, if it's not God, it's ultimately ourselves, right? Um, that, that basically worship of self blinds us from uh, even removes our need to internally figure out how everything works together because we are our own little, we're our own little idols. Like we just, we like live to serve and, and meet our, feed our appetites and meet our needs and get as much happiness as we possibly can at the expense of anyone and everyone around us. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I think that for people who have a secular worldview perspective, it is all about the authority of the self. So at some point, they don't even care what happens to make mm -hmm. sense together because they see that as you're bringing in importing your logic into what they're thinking. So you're saying that there's some kind of objective truth or a logic that they need to conform to. And that's sort of offensive. And so they don't even care to look at it from within their own worldview box and say, do these mm -hmm. things make sense together? Because it's just up to them. And I've actually seen this play out online where I've talked about this research before. And I've had people who do have a secular worldview comment and say, I don't care if my beliefs make sense together. Yeah. This is what I believe. And so it's interesting because sometimes they don't know that they don't make sense together. And I think that's definitely part of it. But for other people, it's just literally, and I don't care. And mm -hmm. I, I know that's kind of mind blowing to those of us who are more oriented toward thinking about these things so logically, but that's just the reality of it. But I do think that for Christians who have inconsistencies in their biblical worldview, I think that a lot of times that's because the church has not done a great job of yeah. equipping people to even think deeply about worldview issues. So right, the, that's the, yeah. The, the church had we don't hear a lot from many pastors who are explaining here's what a worldview is. First of all, a lot of Christians yeah. probably don't even understand what that would mean. <laughs> here's what a worldview is, and here's clearly what it means to have a biblical worldview. Here's the worldview of culture around us. Here's how these things differ. We just don't hear a lot about that mm -hmm. in church. And and honestly, that's where I hope my book will be helpful to people is just outlining those those key differences between the two worldviews because when you understand the distinction, that's when you're in a better place to stay strong mm -hmm. and to resist the kind of secular pressures that we see today. Absolutely. Right. If you don't even know there's a framework upon which all these beliefs rest and their consistency with each other relies on the framework, then it's not, you don't, what you have is not a, a framework holding everything in place. It's almost like you have a little kiddie pool with all the rubber duckies and everything's just floating around. Everything can move wherever it wants. And it's, I mean, it's a terrible example. I can't think of a better one right now. It's I just love like, the rubber duckies. It makes sense to me. I, I got it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you take, you take the framework off, you know, the, there's, there's nothing for them to rest upon or be secured or stay. It's just, it's fluid and it's ever changing. And it's whatever the culture says at the moment. And I think 
you're so right that churches have not, um, you know, pastors have, have not really equipped people with that understanding. And perhaps because many of them themselves don't have that, that understanding and that awareness of, um, that deeper reality that there is, there is a worldview that is shaping people's beliefs, whether they realize it or not. And, and it's like, we don't get to get outside the box. We don't get to reject the box of the fact that we all have a worldview. We just have, we, we, we will have one that is either informed by scripture or not. So um, one thing I, I wonder about that I'd like to ask you is, you know, you mentioned at the beginning how we have so many people who would identify or self-identify as Christian, but obviously that stat you shared with us about the 2% actually having a biblical worldview or the 6% of the whole, um, that's a very different number, right? Than all the people who are Americans who would totally say, yeah, I believe in God or yeah, you know, like I'm good with Jesus or, oh yeah, the Bible, like some great principles in there. I think that has some good, good stuff for me to take away and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and we, we see a lot of people who really want to be identified as Christian and even identify themselves that way. Why, why is that? Why do we, why do we have so many people still clinging, even in the progressive circle, still clinging to the label of Christian, but rejecting almost everything that it actually means to be a Christian? Like why that's, that's, what's so frustrating to me. I'm like, like you said, I'm not surprised that the world has an inconsistent worldview, but I am surprised when those in the church or those who identify as in the church are, are look exactly like the world. Yeah. I, I think this is, it, it boggles my mind too. So this is something that I've, I've wondered about also. I, first of all, it's interesting to note that the percent of people even identifying as Christians is rapidly dropping. Mm. So over the last 10 years, that's gone from about 75% to 65%. That's a huge drop off just in a 10 year period. Mm. So I think that as we move forward, we're going to see the people claiming to be a Christian even drop off continuously mm-hmm. quickly because yeah. now increasingly it's not considered to be okay to be a Christian. Now right. it's actually considered to be a very bad thing that mm-hmm. Christians are evil, hateful bigots and all of these mm-hmm. other things. Mm-hmm. So in the past, it was kind of a good thing. We still had kind of the cultural capital that, you know, yeah, Christianity, yeah. that's good. We're nice. We help people. We help old ladies across the street, things like that. Mm-hmm. But now that that's changing and those values are being discarded by society that Christians hold dear as consistent with a biblical worldview. Now that those things are being discarded, people Mm -hmm. no longer are seeing Christianity positively. And so fewer people are going to be willing to identify in that way. So I do think that is going to change very rapidly. But for the people who are still hanging on to the label, uh, again, I think that they fall into two different groups. I think for some, they literally don't realize that their beliefs are not consistent with a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. They don't know it because either they're in churches that don't explain it or their churches are misleading. They're sitting in progressive churches that they don't even realize are progressive. They don't they don't know the word that, um, and there are lots of churches like that. So for some people, they just don't know. And for other people, they're hanging on to it for maybe people who adhere to the label progressive Christian, because they still take some of their beliefs from the Bible. They haven't completely discarded the Bible, but they think that they should just sift through the Bible to use the term that uh, a lot of progressives will use. They're sifting through it because some of it's good. We need to hold on to some of it because we believe in God and we believe Jesus was this good guy, had some good teachings. And I like that. He cared about justice. He cared about love. I care about love and justice too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus in some sense. So I think that by and large, uh, the people who make up the group that 
would say, yes, I am a Christian, but I don't necessarily hold to everything in the Bible. They kind of take, I don't know if this is the right word, but they kind of take pride in saying, hey, you can be a Christian without believing what all those evangelicals do. Mm -hmm. It's almost like they want to be a corrective to the word and to say that, you know, it's okay to be a Christian and have all these other beliefs. And so Mm -hmm. they don't want to be known as some other, you know, new word, come up with a new word for the religion because they want to sort of demonize the people Mm -hmm. who do hold to a biblical worldview. And in order to do that, you have to hold on to the language and Mm -hmm. try to reform what that means and what it should mean from within your new terminology. Yes. My final sponsor of today is Cornerstone Curriculum. If you guys have been listening to Kindled for any amount of time, you know that I love this company, not just because of what they stand for and what they do, but because I am a result of their curriculum and how faithful they have been with educating the next generation of students. I completed their four-year program, Worldviews of the Western World, in high school, and they have many other resources available for students of all ages. This is not only for homeschool families, although it is perfect if you do homeschool. Um, even if your kids are in a private or a public school, they have resources for you. They have a Answers for Difficult Days Bible Study, Starting Points Worldviews Primer, video series, so much more. Check out their website at cornerstonecurriculum.com and be sure to use the coupon code KINDLED for 5% off. That's KINDLED for 5% off and visit their website at cornerstonecurriculum.com. See that so much within the deconstruction movement and um, and, and the new iteration of that, or, or it's new to me anyway, the almost the reconstruction movement that is helping people to reconstruct not back to biblical Christianity, but to a new belief system altogether and totally distort and corrupt biblical biblical truths, but still somehow, um, you you know, they're really stealing from the Bible and then saying, and then twisting it and then saying, no, this is what Christians really should believe. And they are, that's what they do. It's they, they literally are identifying themselves as new evangelicals shepherding Christians away from scripture's authority from, you know, what they would claim is Christian nationalism and all of these, they all, they characterize everything about, you know, traditional, or I guess I should say Orthodox Christianity as against the Bible. And they are totally just reinterpreting all of that for people. And it's very sad to me because so many Christians do not have the discernment Baby Christians, you know, people who are young in their faith or maybe just have a cursory understanding and have perhaps never even read the Bible or in its entirety or or don't aren't in a solid church, like they are easily being swayed by these arguments because they're, you know, attractive young adults that are uh, you know, casting all these arguments in beautiful graphic design and marketing videos and it just looks like it looks like this new new knowledge or or secret hidden wisdom that you've stumbled upon that oh like that's what it really means to be a christian and they are completely redefining it and uh you know i i struggle to know exactly what to do in that because i'm like obviously i know that they are they are wolves in sheep's clothing they are leading people astray um but yeah. I mean, how do you, I, I, it's like, I want to amp everybody's discernment up to like level 5,000 in a heartbeat and I can't do that, you know? So how do you address, how do you do that in your own life? 
Yeah, well, I think just to, before I say in my own yeah, life, sure. just to answer what you were saying there, it's so true what you're what you're talking about. And I actually make the point in Faithfully Different, in the fifth chapter, I talk all about progressive Christianity. And I make the point that ultimately, it's just another form of secularism. Yeah. It's just another form of secular pressure on Christians who have a biblical worldview, because it's it comes back to the authority of the self. They may say, they may use the label Christian, but ultimately, if you're not acknowledging the Bible as the inspired and authoritative word of God, you are placing yourself outside of that as the arbiter of truth. Mm. You're picking and choosing whatever it is that you believe to be true from the Bible. What does that mean? It means that the authority comes back to you. And so progressive Christianity is ultimately just another form of secularism that has maybe a little more appreciation for Jesus than people who are completely outside of the Christian box, but it's just a secular worldview. And I think that what as Christians, we need to come back to over and over, where's my source of authority? Because if it comes back to the Bible as the word of God, then when we acknowledge that anchor, the question becomes, okay, anything that I'm hearing, what I'm seeing on these Instagram accounts and all this beautiful stuff, I'm coming back and saying, is it consistent with what's in this anchor? Because anytime we get away from the anchor, we're just going back to ourselves as the authority. And there's no objective basis for determining what's true. It just becomes a matter of everyone's opinion. Mm -hmm. And so I think that Christians really need to get honest with ourselves and saying, do I believe that God's objective truth is contained in this Bible? And when we say that, then that becomes our filter for everything. And, you know, you said in my own life, how do I deal with that? Well, Mm -hmm. I think it's very difficult because if you're trying to talk to people who are maybe more progressive in their views, a lot of times they're coming from the presupposition that the Bible is not true in its entirety. And so you're working from these different places. And I think that the best thing that you can do is to show, expose some of those inconsistencies because they're not going to believe you when you say, but how can you believe that Jesus was just a good moral teacher? I mean, look at these things over here that he did. Do you not believe in his miracles? Do you not believe he was the son of God? And they'll say, no, I don't believe that. So sometimes Christians go back and forth and they're pointing to the Bible to try to prove their points. But you got to understand if someone's already thrown out the Bible, they're not going to care when you show them things from the Bible. So I think from in my own life, what I try to do is show people the inconsistencies within their own worldview box. So if someone says, you know, well, we have to sift through the Bible, for example, to figure out what's true, then I would pose the question, well, if I sift through the Bible and I decide that actually I take all of it to be true and that conflicts with what you've sifted through and found to be true, how we can't both be right. So how do we, how do we go from there? And they'll say, well, you just know that this part's not right. There wouldn't be a hell, for example. There's not going to be this ultimate judgment. Well, how do you know? What's your objective basis for saying that? And I think a lot of people aren't going to immediately know what to do with that. They're not going to say, oh, wait, you're right. This is logically inconsistent. But I think you put a little bit of a stone in their shoe, as Greg Kokel says, Mm -hmm. to make them think about it later, even if not in the moment they're going to acknowledge Mm -hmm. that that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you talk so much in the book about the secular pressures that are really coming at Christians. Um, and, and I know we should have done this earlier, but just for, for people listening real quick, the definition of secular, according to um, your book is irreligious. So could you kind of unpack a little bit what that means? Because um, I, I, you know, I think based on what we're saying right now, we have secular pressures coming to us from within the church.
answers from people who tell me like, I'm not really being a loving Christian by holding to a standard that is outside myself or that, that rejects them shifting the goalpost or moving what is acceptable behavior for Christians. Maybe it, it, whether it's moral or how we vote or how we live or whatever, I'm too rigid. I, I get that a lot. And obviously I'm sure you do too. And it can feel, I mean, it feels bad. It feels terrible to have people telling you, you know, you're not loving, you're not showing the grace of God, you're not being Christ-like. And, you know, maybe you could just give us some encouragement on, you know, how to make sure that we are really clinging to what is true and submitting to that, you know, ultimate authority and, and just finding our finding our security, uh, not in what others say about us, but in, you know, who we are in Christ. Yeah. So lots of good questions in there. So let me try to let you tackle each one. Cause I think there are three different issues. The, the first one is you were asking about the definition of secular, and mm-hmm. that is one that so many people sort of misunderstand. And I think that we, we have to understand that, or we're going to go wrong on all the other things that you're talking about. So when we say the word religious, typically what we mean is that someone is deferring, like I mentioned earlier, to the authority of a given religion or God. And so when we talk about a secular country, and by the way, the United States was the first country to be founded in an explicitly secular way, we're saying the same thing. We're saying that in public life, that our government, our federal government does not defer to the authority of a particular religion. Mm. So we have in public life, we have freedom of religion. That's what it means to be a secular country. So it doesn't mean when we talk about individuals, I just want to clarify this. When we talk about being secular, we're not saying people have no religious views at all. We're not saying that they don't believe in God or have any kind of spirituality. They might have a lot of those (laughs) beliefs, but it does mean that they are not adhering to the authority of a particular religion based on some kind of specific revelation, like the book of Mormon or the Quran or the Bible, something like that. So their authority is not coming from something external, but rather from the self. So that's what we're talking about when we say secular. So going back to the political structure of the country to kind of hit the second part of your question, the fact that our country was founded to be secular, meaning that there's no authority at of a particular religion in public life, does not mean, nor was it ever intended to mean, that individuals should not bring their own authoritative worldviews to bear on their opinions in public life. It has never meant that. It just meant that there's no state-funded church. There's not going to be one church that is in charge of basically all of public life, mm-hmm. like the Church of England for example, something like that. But it was never intended to mean, oh, we're just going to have a bunch of neutrality on all of our public policies. That's not possible because any policy, any government is going to function from some idea of what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong? How should we live as a good society? How do you define that? Those are worldview questions. Mm -hmm. You cannot just have a neutral worldview pie, as I describe it in the book. So what we're supposed to do then as individuals in this country, we're all going to be coming from a specific perspective, a specific worldview. We can bring that to bear in how we vote and how we process where we should go as a country, but that's what a democracy is. That is what it is. We come in and we vote and we should vote according to our values. So many Mm -hmm. Christians get this wrong. And and that's where they start going, well, hey, you're being too rigid. You're being too strict because people can vote for, you know, whoever they want. Well, of course you can. We are in a free country in a Mm -hmm. democracy. But as Christians, we should be voting in a way that's consistent with our Christian worldview. And that 
is expected in a secular country that you will vote in that way. People don't understand that, but that is how it was intended to function. So when people say you're too rigid, you know, ask what they mean by that. Well, too rigid, how? Because mm-hmm. this is how a secular country should function. People just don't understand that. Mm-hmm. So to the last part of your question about some encouragement, I think that number one, we should expect that people are going to hate us when we speak truth. Jesus said that people will hate us. So we've been a little bit spoiled as Christians, I think in the past, because people did have more appreciation for values that were consistent with the biblical Mm -hmm. worldview that's changing. And so we just can't be spoiled anymore. This is what, this is what it means to be a Christian, to take up our cross and to follow Jesus and to expect that people will not like us. We've fallen into this trap of thinking that, well, I'm doing the right thing. If people think I'm nice. No, Jesus said that people will hate you. I can't say that enough. So we can't be discouraged by the fact that people will hate us. We need to understand that's the right expectation to have, Hmm. but then embrace the opportunity to be salt and light. And we throw that term around so much. I think as Christians, you know, salt and light, we talk about all the time, but really that should be seen as an opportunity, a God glorifying opportunity to be light in culture today. What an exciting calling that should be. Yes. Grieve the world, grieve the direction of society and what's happening, but don't stop with the grieving say, I'm going to be the light that God has called me to be and know that there are people who are being hurt by the darkness and we have the opportunity to bring them into that life and to ultimately Mm -hmm. make disciples of all nations, just like Jesus called us to. Yeah, man, so encouraging. Life is busy enough without having to figure out what's for dinner. Lacey Baumiller with the five minute meal will teach you a simple weekly meal planning system that will simplify mealtime, save you from the overwhelm of wondering what to make for dinner every night and help you prepare nutritious meals that will move the needle on your health goals. Plus your entire family will love them. No more last minute takeout. That's going to sabotage your weight loss efforts. No more making separate meals for yourself. You can actually sit down and enjoy a hot meal with your family. The five minute meal teaches you the foundation of healthy nutrition and gives you a simple meal plan. That'll help you have dinner on the table in minutes recipes, shopping lists, and a step-by-step process to make all of it happen. Grab your free download from Lacey at LaceyBaumiller.com. That's L-A-C-I-B-A-U-Miller.com. And for anyone who downloads the five-minute meal, you will also get a free 15-minute pantry audit where Lacey will teach you how to stock your pantry to make this process effortless. Check it all out at LaceyBaumiller.com. Um, one of my favorite parts of your book is where you talk about the different types of Jesuses, and that's in air quotes, but you <laughs> kind of lay out, um, you know, the everyman Jesus, the theology light Jesus, and, um, you know, using even even quotes from uh, very popular, famous, you know, Instagram theology people uh, using quotes to kind of back up your definitions and, and thoughts and, and unpacking this, here's what this every man Jesus is and this theology light Jesus. And you've got, um, you know, non-evangelizing Jesus, anti-organized religion, Jesus, socialist, Jesus, universal Christ, Jesus. I mean, it's so great because it is so true and so helpful to realize that like, when we see these people, you know, who are taking the name of Christ and they are, they are, 
slapping that on whatever agenda they have or hot topic they want to discuss and they want to associate themselves with Jesus and they want to say, Jesus was this kind of guy, you know, here's what Jesus would say today about this. Let me show you who Jesus is. He wouldn't be doing that. I mean, how often do we just, you know, you're scrolling and that, and that kind of stuff comes up in your face. And it's like, it's just such an affront to the Bible, to the gospel, to the true Jesus who is reigning and is Lord. Um, it honestly sends chills down my spine for these people who are so flippant with the name of Christ and with, you know, representing him so poorly. And it makes me want to not be one of them. I don't want to do that. Um, but what would you say to the person who is, you know, seeing a lot of that content and maybe having trouble discerning like what is true and what isn't. And maybe they didn't realize that there was actually so many people using the name of Christ who were not faithful Christians or, or even representing Orthodox beliefs about Christianity. Like, what would you say to, to someone like that? I would say read your Bible. And, and I, it sounds so easy, but the research also shows that most Christians aren't reading their Bible consistently. Mm -hmm. How can you have a clear biblical worldview and spot problems if you don't know what the Bible itself says? And I, I think, you know, here's just an example of that. So many people want to say, well, Jesus was a great moral teacher. And, you know, the Bible just has some miraculous add-ons that were, you know, legends over time. I was just, I, I, and I do this periodically because I think it's so interesting, um, but I was just reading through Mark kind of like a skim this morning. And I was just looking at it from, okay, that perspective, is it possible that Jesus is just a good moral teacher? And of course I don't believe that, but I'm just looking yeah. at it from their perspective. All you see for several chapters in Mark is about how Jesus is healing people and performing miracles and having power over nature. You, you don't even get to his teachings for a long time in the book of Mark, because Mark mm. is setting up who he is, that Jesus mm. has authority over illness and sickness and nature. He's setting up that he is God, that he is the Messiah. And he hasn't gotten to any teachings about love or justice at this point. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's fascinating because people want to make him into whoever they want. But if you actually just take the time to read the gospels, you can't get around to just a Jesus of love, however that's defined, or just a Jesus of activism when people start to think that way. Mm -hmm. You have to look at the whole thing together. So if you're a Christian who seeks to have a biblical worldview, read the Bible mm -hmm. and read the gospels in their entirety, because then you're going to understand the full Jesus, not just the Jesus that gets cherry picked. Yeah. Amen. We all need to be reading our Bible every day. And even more as, as the day is approaching, right? Like, I mean, who knows where we are at in terms of end times, but uh, certainly persecution is, is just right around the corner. Cause like you said, I mean, it, as the minority, like the, the cultural kudos that we got for being these good, upstanding, moral Christians, that's going away very quickly. There is no more cultural kudos. There is no more brownie points for being a Christian. It is, it is attacks. It is slander. It is, um, it is being hated, like you said. So, um, you know, in the interest of maybe not ending us on that note, is there, <laughs> is there any encouragement that you would give to us as far as, you know, how we go out and take this reality and these truths that you share in your book. And I, I certainly want to really, really encourage everyone to get your book because it is so, so helpful um, and arms us with so much information. But how do we, how do we think about this in light of eternity? You know, um, you say in the book, and I'm so glad you say this, that the battle has been won, but could you just kind of end us on a, a note of encouragement? 
Yeah. And, and what I point out with the battle has been won, sometimes people think of it that way. And then they say, so, you know, culture is going to get fixed at some point saying Mm -hmm. the battle has been won is the big picture that God wins in the end, in the end of time, at the end of the day, right. It doesn't necessarily mean our particular culture is going Mm -hmm. to be saved out of this kind of thing. It doesn't mean we're going to end up in any particular place. We have to trust God for the eventual outcomes and then be faithful to our calling in the meantime and being obedient. So it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but in terms of of encouragement, I would just say, see it again as an opportunity to be light. See it as, yes, this is a this is a terrible direction that we're headed in, but we have the opportunity to speak truth and to be light where light is so desperately needed. And I think when you start to see it that way, then you start to kind of think differently about what this whole cultural moment means. Mm-hmm. And also to just see people not as manifestations of errant ideas, but to see them as lost and broken people who are hurting and who have some errant ideas, but they need love in a biblical mm-hmm. sense, in the biblical meaning of they need love, they need truth. And I think it can be tempting, especially when you're involved in these kind of like cultural battles and things, it can be tempting to just see people as, like I said, manifestations of ideas. But the more that we see people as lost and hurting, the more that we can be communicating in a way that's God glorifying and people honoring as fellow image mm-hmm. bearers. So let's speak truth. Let's be light. No, we're not always going to be liked for it, but that's okay. Jesus mm-hmm. told us that that's how it would be. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you so much, Natasha. Where can people connect with you online? So my site is natashacrane.com and crane is spelled C-R-A-I-N. And I have my blog there and you can learn about my podcast there or just search for the Natasha Crane podcast in uh, your player. Perfect. Yes. Go get the book. It's amazing. You're going to love it. Um, I also got the audio book. You sent me the book, but I bought the audio book because I just wanted a way to have that in my earphones while I'm doing dishes and folding laundry (laughs) and all that. So um, thank you for writing it. And I just love everything that you do. So thank you. Thank you so much. And I appreciate everything that you do too. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope that that was encouraging for you. And I do definitely urge you to get Natasha's book. It's going to become um, an encyclopedia of sorts and you will you will be reading it and be like, how does she know that this has happened to me? Because my friends have said that to me. My friends have questioned whether, you know, the the orthodox understanding of scripture was really what Jesus meant or whether that was really how we should love people or um, whether we should tell anyone that anything is true and that anything should be true or authoritative for them. I I mean, I've heard this from Christians. I've been told this by other Christians and uh, those who just don't realize that secular individualism has infiltrated their thinking to such a degree that they cannot separate it from worldliness, from, you know, a, a completely godless ideology that actually has nothing to do with Christianity. So um, I just would encourage you to uh, read that book and, you know, keep in mind that this is everywhere, but it doesn't have to be in your thinking. It does not have to infiltrate your beliefs. It does not have to guide how you live. Um, even when you encounter pushback, you can graciously and truthfully point back to what God's word says and remind yourself and anyone else that the truth is always loving. And because we get our truth from a source that is unchanging, that is reliable, that is perfectly good and righteous and all loving, 
We can trust that even when its word is hard to hear, it is what is best for us. And um, God does not contradict himself. And although it may feel simplistic to a world that demands nuance on so many topics where the Bible has resoundingly given a clear answer, we can trust that. We do not have to be as those who do not have hope. And so um, just, you know, remind yourself of those basic, simple truths as you're engaging in conversations with people who do not um, have clarity on these topics. And if at all possible, bring clarity to the conversation. And if not, just put a rock in their shoe and, um, you know, ask God to help guide and guard your heart and mind from the lies of culture. So Anyways, hope you guys have a great week. If you're inside Firestarters, I'll see you on Friday. If not, I'll see you next Monday. Bye.